If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you and take, to take them and turn with me to Romans chapter 9. It's been some time since we've been back to the book of Romans. Our text will be found in verses 1 through 5. We'll read that in just a moment. I want to welcome every single one of you here in person. Those of you also that are worshiping online with us, we welcome you. <clears throat> you know that I am blessed. I am blessed to be surrounded by a wonderful group of elders who literally help me and are shoulder to shoulder with me on a consistent basis, uh, including the pastors. There's 11 in total, and we have periodically encouraged each one of these elders to kind of take a rest on occasion. And over the years I've been here, I believe uh, Drew Talbot, Art Gray, Craig Brady have all taken a break from some of the stresses and the strains of meeting and of praying. Um, I have been encouraging one particular elder who actually has been serving faithfully probably longer than any other elder, 22 years. Zane Padalev has been faithfully shoulder to shoulder, assisting and praying, bearing our burdens. Um, I have been encouraging Zane for months, and uh, it is now a season that uh, Zane is going to take to step away from the elder board for a season to rest, um, probably at least six to 12 months. So I would encourage you to pray for Zane and Sandy. They have been so faithful. They will be engaged. He has several hats that he wears, and he will continue to wear some of those hats. Um, but we encourage Zane to take a break and look forward and pray that it will be a restful, restful season for you. Um, just wanted to let you know that by way of where we are in regards to church leadership. Uh, Aaron had made mention that it has been a trying week and a, a difficult week for many as we have been mourning the loss of one of our brothers, dear brothers, Jay Gaunt. And so we need to continue to pray for Linnell and the family, uh, particularly next Saturday as we invite each one of you to participate in the celebration of life of Jay Gaunt. Um, with that thought and with this text before us, which is a weighty text, we're going to bow our heads and just pray for the Lord's help as we listen and, Lord willing, learn this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are powerful and that you are present with us at this very moment. Lord, my prayer is that your spirit would would just descend upon us and that we would sense your closeness, your comfort, minister to hearts where there is, there is a sense of heaviness and a sense of, of even mourning, but we thank you as we were reminded that we do not mourn as those without hope, but we have hope in Jesus. And as we are reminded today of who you are in your sovereignty, as finite humans, we can wrestle with this. I pray, Lord, that you would give to us a clear view. Open our, our eyes to see and our ears to hear. Father, we do just continue to lift up dear, dear Linnell and family, kids and grandkids. I just pray, Lord, that we would be faithful to come alongside and 
to minister as best as we can. I think of, of the Leathers family as well, Bobby Leathers, who's even now en route to bury his mom, Deb. We thank you for her faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, that we have one another, just as we celebrated earlier, new members that are committing and coveting to, to, to be together to encourage and assist. May we be faithful in doing that. Bless us now. Speak. Please give me clarity of thought and mind and speech. May everything that is done be for your glory and your glory alone. In your name we pray. All of these things. Amen. Amen and amen. Okay, we have to take a moment to kind of recalibrate, review. Well, it's been what? Since June? Since we were in the book of Romans. The letter that Paul wrote, the Apostle Paul wrote to churches, believers in the city of Rome. There's 16 chapters in all. We've considered eight of them. We've actually got through half of the book. Eight solid chapters that have been what I would call a barrage of doctrinal truth. The what, we could call them the what of salvation. I appreciate how Pastor Stewart teaches his students. He calls them what? Big Bible words. And we've looked at these things. We've talked about the first five chapters are, are about justification, what Jesus Christ has done in the past. We put our faith in the work of Jesus. We are declared righteous. We looked at, looked at the fact that chapter 6 and all the way through the first part of chapter 8 is the ongoing work, the, the progressive work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's sanctification. We are being set apart towards holy living. The latter part of verse 8 is glorification, the future work of God the Father when we are finally, finally made whole. And we are finally made holy. Romans chapter 8, if you recall, and it teaching us what? That there is nothing, there's nothing out there that is ever able to separate us from the love of God. And so we end chapter 8 with like a resounding applause, with cheers. A beautiful depiction, beautiful picture of God's unending, immeasurable love. And now as we turn the page to chapter 9, we transition to the who. To whom is this salvation given? To whom is this salvation enjoyed by? And as we turn this page to chapter 9, immediately there's the question of what? What? Say what? Typical of tough truth. And we wrestle with this. We wrestle with this section of scripture. Let me just be very blunt. People do not like Romans chapter 9. And what's interesting is this, is you can't separate Romans chapter 9 from Romans chapter 10 and Romans chapter 11, which means what? People really struggle with this entire section of scripture that we're going to spend the next weeks in. Now we'll get to the meat of it even next week, but a, a brief summary as to why this section ticks people off the way that it does. Summarized with what? Romans chapter 9, verse 8, verse 11, all the way through verse 14, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau 
I have hated. that's, That's hard to hear. God himself is at some level choosing. Let's introduce this section. Follow along with me. The text will be in front of us. I read from the ESV, the English Standard Version, Romans chapter 9. We pick it up in verse 1. Lord willing, the words will be in front of you. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I, I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They, they are Israelites, and to whom belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promise. To them belong the patriarchs, And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all and blessed forever. Amen. Amen. This section of Scripture, my job is to stand before you and get this to you the best that I can, the clearest and and, and the most simple it can be made. This section before us is a fascinating section because we are brought face to face, in all honesty, with one of those difficult doctrines to accept according to the sovereignty of God. And this is the subject. It's election. God's sovereign choice. Esau, I have, Jacob, I have loved. Esau, I have hated. I have read this. One theologian says, I have to embrace this doctrine even though I don't have to like it. I read as well that one wrote, there is a built-in resistance to the sovereignty of God's grace. R.C. Sproul admitted, not until I was exposed to a careful treatment of Romans chapter 9 was I brought kicking and screaming against my will to an initial acquiescence of pure Augustinianism. Which means what? He's referring to, he's referring to this gentleman whose name is Augustine, St. Augustine of Hippo. We've probably heard of him. I've quoted him on numerous times. An unrivaled figure in the history of Christianity. Ryan Reeves describes his writings like this. As being best known for the heroic assaults on weak theology. So Augustine wrote on what? He wrote on the nature of grace. He wrote on free will. He wrote on the gospel. And Augustine was a pastor at heart. That's why I love to read him. And he stands tall on the words of the Apostle Paul that the law, or what works, and our own will are unable to bring us to full repentance apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. We have a free will. No doubt, Augustine argues, much the way that a broken scale can still weigh fruit in the market, which means what we are unable to do, we are unable 
to do, however, is weigh the things of God rightly apart from God restoring our eyes to see and our ears to hear, which is what, where's the emphasis? The emphasis is on the work of God, the sovereignty of God. Now, there's an opposing view that Augustine spent much of his time in defense of, giving attention to, it was from one of his contemporaries. His name was Pelagius. Pelagianism is a 5th century doctrinal heresy that rejected the idea of original sin, insisting instead that the tendency to sin is humankind's own free choice. Thus, there's no need for divine grace. Individuals must simply make up their mind to do, just do this. That's, that's asceticism. Just do the will of God. Chain yourself to the wall in disciplines. The reason this doctrine is so pervasive that even has some level inroads in today's world is because it puts man in the driver's seat and it attempts to, wrongly, it attempts to remove God. Today it's what, let's ride the middle fence. Everything is what? Everything is relative. So there's this doctrine of semi-Pelagianism that seeks to escape the full implications of the doctrine of election. And thus there's this collision of confusion and collision of conflict. Thankfully, Romans chapter 9 clarifies this and gives attention to God's saving and I would say surprising grace and love. We see God's love here. And we see it first, number one, in the sincerity of Paul's words. Listen very carefully to how the Apostle Paul begins. He's making a declaration of significant weight. Profound words, in a sense, the most profound he can possibly muster. In a sense, he's, he's expressing his sincerity in triplicate form. He says basically the same thing three times. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. He says, I'm not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit. What is Paul doing here? He's very quick to bring the Lord into his, what, the validity of his words. He's bringing the Lord into the weight of what he has to say. We know the Holy Spirit has carefully breathed into him the exact words to write. God has breathed into him the words that we studied earlier. On the doctrine of justification, the righteous live by faith. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. By faith. We don't live by works. We're not saved by law. We're not saved by Moses. We're saved through Christ. And Christ alone, solus Christus, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We know that Jesus has spoken the very words. Paul has written the very words. The Holy Spirit has given, what? The very words that are profitable for us. Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, righteousness. But the intentional inclusion right here of the Apostle Paul bringing in God, in Christ, in the Holy Spirit, is validating the following words with an unusual significance, an unusual weight. Why? Because he knew we were going to struggle with this. He knew that we would raise our hand and say, this, this doesn't sound right. This doesn't sound fair. That's the reason of Paul's sincerity. There's also what? Secondly, the sorrow. The sorrow 
of Paul's heart. Again, the, the language is telltale, okay? The, the, the language that Paul chooses to use, the word choice by design is unmistakable. The emphasis on his personal anguish is intentional. You cannot miss it. There is a pain and there are tears. L listen to what Paul says. He says, I have great sorrow. Sorrow, lupe is the word. It means deep distress, sadness. Paul says, there's something happening in my heart. I have unceasing anguish, anguish, odune, intense anxiety and grief and emotional pain is in my heart. It's totally different than what we think of. When what? You kick up the leaves and the magic is lost. On your gray day, your blue day, the blue sky fades to gray. And we hear this song kind of resonating. What? You had a bad day? Like that's kind of where we think here. Really? No, it's, it's not like we just had a bad day. Paul didn't just have a bad day here. It's different than that. It is what I would call the, 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 the closer description would be to a panic attack where he, he really can't even fully catch his breath. He's almost beginning to hyperventilate. I can't, I can't breathe because I am in such deep sorrow. What is the sorrow? My closest loved one, my brother has died. And it's not like what we feel. A loved one has died and we know that they have gone on to be with the Lord and we will see them again. It's not that type. Instead, it's, a, it's the death of a close loved one who has rejected the word of God, who has rejected the work of the Son of God, and is destined to eternal separation and suffering. And you know that you will never, ever, ever see them again. And they will be tormented for eternity. Because they've rejected the Lord Jesus, right? It's that type. Paul is literally lamenting the fate of his brothers, of his fellow Jews. And it's really here that I'm reminded as I read the apostle, the words of the apostle Paul. And, and I think all of us, if we were honest, we were confronted with just how unspiritual we really are. Like how far we are in our own heart, because Paul makes a statement that is almost impossible for us to fully fathom, impossible for us to comprehend. He makes this statement, I wish I myself were accursed. The word here is anathema. Literally, it's an invocation of evil pronounced on an enemy. Paul says that I wish that I was accursed. I was cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. I wish I was anathema. Literally, it means I wish I was damned to hell if I knew that my brothers could go to heaven. You, you pray like that? I'll, I'll give you a lot of things, okay? I'll give you, hey, but I'm, I'm not going to deal away my salvation. 
And yet, at some level, that's the amount of love that Paul has here. If I could go to hell so my brothers could go to heaven, I would do it. He says, I would wish for it. What sacrifice is that? What love is that? Now we know, we know, and Paul understands this, it, it is an impossibility. He can't, he can't bargain away. He can't gamble away. Paul knows this. So at some level, he's speaking hyperbolically. Yet it, it expresses the affection that he has in his own heart for the lost. And it expresses his, what, sincere yearning and desire for the lost to be found. Stop. Do you have that kind of yearning for the lost of your brother, of your sister that you've grown up with? Do, do, do you weep and do you ache? In a sense, do you begin to almost hyperventilate because you know that they have rejected? That's the example. It is given to us by the Apostle Paul himself. Do you mourn for the loss that you wave to? And you pass every single day. Not only do we see the sincerity of Paul's words and the sorrow of Paul's heart, but we get a glimpse here of what I would say the sheer agony that Paul feels when he knows that his brothers, his own kinsmen, have rejected Christ. Paul refers to his kinsmen as a Jewish person. He's referring to the Israelites who were what? Part of God's family. They were in many ways, and this is the word that is used, the adopted son. That's what the Israelites were. They have been rescued. They have been redeemed from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. They have been, in a sense, brought into this family, and yet they have missed out on the privilege Paul mentions this. He says that they witness the glory of God. Now, just pause for a moment. Old Testament, what? The glory of God is so brilliant that no human eye can ever see it. And yet, these people were permitted to have the glory of God dwell amongst them at Sinai. To dwell amongst them in the tabernacle. To dwell amongst them in the temple, hovering over the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant. All of them showing God's glory. Yet what? It too was rejected. On this list it includes what? The covenant was given. The law was given. They've, they've, they've even enjoyed at some level a degree of, of worship. Promises were given, all of it as a means, not, not only to reveal, in a sense, how they have been blessed by, 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 by being given a way of God's holiness, but an expression of God's concern for them. This was for their own good, so they could embrace His presence, and yet they rejected it. Finally, it says that he was what, he, he's even been blessed, their forefathers, the patriarchs. This is part of the lineage, your only family. 
has been one that has produced the Messiah himself. All of it, all of it for naught, without faith, without accepting the promised one. They have been given so many privileges and yet they refused to submit, to surrender, and to act upon them. And I started this morning, Romans 8 ends with what? Everybody cheering. We love the love of God. And there is resounding, thunderous applause. And then you turn the page to Romans chapter 9. Who does this apply to? And all of, them, all of a sudden, automatically, there is dead silence. What? You're telling me people who have literally been given all of this They've been ushered to the seat of truth, just like some of you have what? Had the truth of the gospel presented to you over and over and over again. They have enjoyed familial communion, family around the table. They've enjoyed that. They have witnessed, just like you have, the glory of God. The heavens declare His glory so have you. You've been offered the covenant. You've been offered the promises. And Paul is saying what? They will not enjoy God's eternal presence if they continue to reject the name, the work, and the person of Jesus. I, I call it, in a sense, what is happening around us today is that when we talk about separation, presence for all eternity with God in heaven, or what? Separation apart from God in hell. What, what has happened today is, is, I call it this, there's a creep of universalism that is working its way in. And it's becoming more and more pervasive. It's becoming more and more prevalent. We're hearing it more and more and more. Which basically says at some level, at some level, everybody's going to make it. Somebody told me this week, I had probably angels. They probably, they, when they left here, they probably became an angel. And they're present with us now because everyone. And, and, and the doctrine of hell today just does not sell. And so there has been a subtle, constant creep of universalism. Everyone in the universe eventually is going to be. And that's not what the truth of Scripture says. That's not what the gospel preaches. How, how does this practically apply for you and I? What's the application here for us this morning as we seek to what? Preach the full counsel of the Word of God. And the truth, the full truth of the gospel. Let me say first and foremost... In your own heart, you have to understand it's not the family that you were born into. It's, it's not your family. It's not your history. It's not your father's faith and your mother's faith. If I hear one more time, I grew up believing. I grew up in church. Let me make it very clear. You cannot ride the family train to heaven. My pop-pop was a preacher. Wonderful. I hope that your pop-pop was faithful with preaching the whole gospel of Jesus. You can't ride the family train. It doesn't work like that. Paul's telling us that. 
You're being familiar with the Bible. Went to Sunday school. I, I have even read this, and I've studied, and I've really done well to obey the book of the Ten Commandments. According to what we see in Scripture, that is not sufficient in order to save you, which means what? You can't ride the good works train to heaven. But, but, but I've always gone to church. I, I'm actually shocked at how, how, how many people still believe at some level by your attendance in church, by your attendance in Sunday school, by your attendance in somewhere, somehow, by bringing the donuts for people to enjoy, that, that that's going to cover and atone for your sins. It's not. Paul makes it very clear. You have to hold on to the fact, even the worship experience that you may have had, but I felt it. I felt warm and, and tingly, and, and, and I was even shedding tears like I was weeping. I prayed the prayer. I was around the campfire at, at Bible camp. I was around the bonfire at Christian camp. And I repeated the words. And other people were, were crying, and other people. And I felt this. Let me tell you this. You cannot ride the experience train to heaven. Doesn't matter what you felt. Our feelings are up and down all day, every day, all week, every week. Rather, it's what? It's, it's getting back to placing all, all of your faith, all of your life on what? The Christ. It says that, that according to the flesh... The, the, the lineage is there, affirming that Jesus Christ comes from what? In person, according to the flesh, kata sarka, that he is the Christ, and he says what? He is over all things. The Christ who is God over all. The Christ who is God over all. If you underline anything in your Bible, if you highlight, if you mark, you underline that there is what? A necessity for faith in the Christ who is God over all. You see, that's, that's what these, these brothers and sisters of Paul could not accept. They could not accept that Jesus Christ, the man, was God. And this affirms in a resounding way the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we understand that it's only, only, only us accepting the work that the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished as he sacrificed himself on the cross to atone for your sins, all the stupid things that you and I have ever done. Our reproach before a holy God, Jesus Christ atoned for them. When we put our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we realize how unrighteous we are, how unholy we are. Jesus actually gives us a little bit of a glimpse of what this looks like in Luke chapter 18. And he begins to kind of separate. He says, and I quote, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed. And he said this, can you believe God? I thank you that I'm not like all these other sinners right here, especially that guy. 
People in the church of Jesus Christ today, people that sit in the seats of Big Woods Bible Church, deep in their hearts, still say this, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that person. And the tax collector said what? says that he stood afar off. says that he would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. And he prayed and he said the words that you and I better, better pray every single day. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's where we begin to recognize our desperate need. Today we are to weep and to pray for those that reject Jesus as the Son of God, the promised and long-awaited Messiah. And like Paul, the pain that he feels, the anxiety that he feels for those who have not put their faith and their trust. Remember, I I said you can't really separate chapter 9 from chapter 10. You can't separate chapter 10 from chapter 11. And I know we'll get to this. Next week, it actually, it actually answers the question in the sense that the Word of God has not failed here. God, God is faithful. But the very end of chapter 11, and this is where we have to keep our focus as we kind of move our way through the, 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 the deep mud, through the, the slogging through some of this, wrestling through some of this tough truth. We keep our eyes on the doxology that ends in Romans chapter 11. This is where our focus is as we close this morning. Oh, the depth. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How unfathomable are his ways. We don't understand the way that God works. We never will. That's why we trust in his sovereignty. For who has known the mind of God? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? We rest in this, for from him... For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. The the majestic part of this difficult truth is the fact that we get to keep our view on how amazing God is. May May we understand the faith that is necessary in our heart and may we weep for those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we pray that they would not reject, but accept the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Wrestling through some tough truth is hard, but necessary for us as we grow and strengthen in our own faith and in our own walk. Father, we love you. We thank you for your patience and your grace with us. Father, we pray, Lord, that we would, we would see those who, who are rejecting you Father, that we would weep for them, that we would ache in our heart, that we would mourn. Father, that we would be faithful in our own faith and trust in following Jesus and tell others before it is too late. Help us to trust you more. Help us, Lord, not to be ticked, but to be truthful in understanding who you are and telling others of your great sovereignty, of your great grace, and of your great love. Bless us as we conclude our time in worship. May you go with us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.